Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Moen Friends Sports Podcast. Joining me today to talk all things sports is Eric. Eric, welcome back. Hey Moen, good to be back. Mate, it's been, uh, what is it, two or three weeks since we've had you on? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a couple of weeks now. It's been it's been good. Uh, my Knicks are on a two-game winning streak, so uh, <laughs> we've turned the corner. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's been two, two weeks, two or three weeks. Three weeks, yeah, and look, much has happened in those few weeks. Um, I'll start off by doing a quick wrap up of a few things that happened during the week and even earlier today. There's a few events earlier today. And uh, for those listening to the show, um, this is being recorded on a Thursday night. So the last day of February um, due to some other commitments on the weekend. So we brought it forward a couple of days. So earlier today, Eric, uh, actually a few hours ago in the Mexican Open, Nick Kyrgios beat Nadal and he was actually losing pretty badly to him in the first set. And he looked pretty sick. He actually wanted to retire, but he was talking to the trainer and the mics uh, on the court picked up his conversation. And he said that he's going to try and play a couple of more games. And that's because he feels sick. But if he forfeits, the media is going to hound him and he's going to get booed off the court. Now, mind you, he got booed off the court anyway. He got a, he got a, <laughs> he got a court violation for telling the crowd to shut up. And then he tried this, uh, you know, the underarm serve. Um, apparently yeah, yeah. Nadal was standing, uh, you know, very far behind the baseline to receive Kyrgios' serve, which is, you know, a pretty good serve, he's, you know, when, when it's in. So he tried an, an underarm and the crowd didn't take too kindly for that. But, you know, credit where it's due, he came back and beat Nadal 7-6, 7-6 to take the match two sets to one. And, you know, Kyrgios has always been this enigma in Australian sports, right? Uh, there's a lot of people who are completely off his bandwagon and they're just like, you know what, he's a prima donna, he's a crybaby, he's spoiled, he's too inconsistent. And then there's the other half, which um, not even a half. So there's another section that really supports him. Yeah. And they're, they're with him through thick and thin. And then there's another section when he's doing poorly, they're off him. And then when he starts winning, they start supporting him again. But do you think it's fair from us and the media having these expectations of him that, uh, you know, he feels like um, when he needs to forfeit, he can't do that because he's afraid of the uh, backlash or the feedback that he's going to get from the media and then the audience at large? Um, it's, it's an interesting one because I think that the, the issue with every player in that scenario is that they can't walk off or people, and unless your leg's hanging off you, you can't walk off without people basically saying, oh, he's a bum, he just quits. But I think it's probably a little bit magnified with Nick because he's had a couple of brain explosions and it's and he's got a little bit of a track record. But I've, I think sadly that's the scenario for, for every major athlete in almost every sport is that if you walk off and people doubt that you're really hurt, then people are going to give you a serve. So it, it is bad that he can't walk off. It would have, I mean, and imagine if he had gotten injured and wasn't able to play again for a while. It's it's sad, but I think that's kind of part of part of what it means to to be a professional athlete these days with social media and everybody judging you. And I, I don't think anybody's going to be able to get away from that kind of stuff anymore. Look, and I mean. I still think with him and players like him with his personality, it's it's more elevated. Like I think if Nadal, you know, were to get injured or Federer, people will just uh, t take it at face value and they'll say, you know, he picked up an eagle, he couldn't really play. Whereas with Nick, 
like you said, because of his track record, he won't be given the benefit of the doubt. On the other hand, like you said, if he does get injured because he's playing through something he shouldn't just because he doesn't want the backlash, then, uh, you know, the long-term impacts of that is a lot worse uh, than if he had actually pulled out. So my message there really is that he should listen to his body and do what's right in the moment, regardless of what he thinks the media and the fans will think of him. That's not to say that carrying on like a child is okay on the other hand, right? Because he did that again. And actually after the game, Nadal came out and said, you know, he's a huge talent. He can win slams and and fight for first position. But then he said he lacks respect for the public, the opponent and himself. So there's pretty harsh words from Nadal. He's usually you know, pretty kind um, when he's talking about other players. So he, he rebuked him fairly. And yeah, it, for, it, for Nadal, that is mm, super blunt. <laughs> it is. And look, it is after a loss. So obviously Nadal's emotions were high. He had the game in the bag. You know, he could have uh, sealed it a few times um, throughout the match. Uh, but, you know, obviously he lost. So he's a bit frustrated there too. However, he's been around long enough to know that his words carry weight and he knew what he was saying. And saying that someone lacks respect is very damning in itself and you know I don't know is Nick 25 now or or 24 like he's not a spring chook anymore when it comes to uh, the tour he's been around for six or seven eight years even and so he really needs to you know shape up like I mean I don't I don't know anymore what what to make of him sure he'll have he'll make great money and you know like that's the excuse that they make these days he's making great money he's got his sponsorship he's going to retire comfortably but when we're talking competitive sport unlike any type of other job uh, if you're not playing to win as your main goal then are you really competing hard enough yeah the you know I, I always feel sorry for people that go pro whether whether it's sport or music or, or whatever it is when when you become a pro athlete before while, while you're a teenager and you're, you're not really an adult yet and then you're forced to grow up earning millions of dollars and and you don't have role models and stuff around you you end up getting like it's it's not surprising that you get people that are a little bit unhinged you, you get people like Nadal and Federer and they're, they're kind of the exception you know they they grow up They've got their head screwed on. They just put their head down and they work and they manage to, to get through. But, you know, for every one of those guys, there's 10 who just go out and, and implode because the maturity is not there. So I think it's something that – and it's an area where I think the Davis Cup could be really useful if it was put together well, is not so much the training of the player in as much as the mentoring of the player as they grow up. Because I think that's where that's what Nick's missing in a lot of ways is a is a good role model. I agree. He definitely hasn't had that guiding uh, figure, whether it's a coach or a mentor or someone within the family to really put their foot down. And it's a bit similar to what's happened with uh, Bernard Tomic as well. Bernard. You know, similar similar situation again. Great talents, just not really fulfilling um, what they should. Uh, yeah, and yeah, Dokic as well. Like her, her dad was a nutcase and, and she could have been far more successful than she was. Absolutely, yeah. She she had a really tough time during mm. her career and by all accounts, that relationship wasn't very healthy. So definitely um, something to think about. And I don't know when Nick will realise if he needs a mentor, he should have one. He th- he seems to think he doesn't need a coach. And look, that's fine if you feel like your game is, is going well. I mean, you just beat the second best player in the world. Uh, and you were sick, you know, in, in the first set. So clearly the talent is there. The consistency is non-existent and the carrying on 
really needs to stop because that energy could be redirected towards um, more productive things. Yeah, agreed. So today the AFL preseason kicked off, Eric, and the first match was between Carlton and Essendon at Princess Park. Now, I only bring it up because it was my first look at the new rule that they're bringing in for the season um, in the AFL. What they've done this year is they've said they've divided the field into thirds and six players have to be starting in each of the thirds at every center bounce. So you need to have six players in your defensive, I guess, third, you can say. So the 50-meter arc, you need to mm-hmm. have six players. You have to have six players uh, in the center. So you've got the Ruckman, uh, the midfielders, and a couple on the wing. And then you have to have six players um, in attack. And regardless of the result today, what was evident is that the game was a lot more open. There was heaps uh, more space. And players just had a bit more time to actually find the ball in the middle instead of, you know, getting tackled by four or five different people and the the umpire having to throw it up again. And I think it's going to make for a really exciting season. We're going to see a lot more one-on-ones. And it's really going to benefit those power midfielders that can get the ball in the middle and break through the lines. So people like um, Patrick Dangerfield, Dustin Martin, Paddy Cripps, who else? Uh, Maybe uh, old school Gary Ablett. So think of Gary Ablett in his prime and what he used to do around the ball. Those type of players are going to have a field day with the new rules because there won't be as many players um, hounding them. They're going to have more space. And when it comes to centre bounces, the midfielders who sort of made made their mark by being, uh, you know, in and under type players who went, you know, between all the bodies and were able to extract the ball and then hand, handball it off to one of those uh, pacey power guys to break the lines, they won't have as much to do, I don't think, um, under the new rules, just because that type of skill isn't as needed. Now, they'll still use it, obviously, around the ground. In normal play, players can go around everywhere whenever there's a ball up or a throw in those in and under players will still be around they'll still do their job but when it comes to um, the middle of the ground it's the guys with the ability to pick the ball up and have that little burst of pace and strength to break through tackles and and accelerate away um, from that pack they're going to have heaps of space to hit up forwards and I think it's going to be really exciting this year. Do you think that you're going to see a lot more scoring or do you think it's going to even out a little bit depending on the type of people on the squad? Yeah, look, I mean, what could happen is uh, as, as the game progresses uh, and it gets tighter, it'll, it'll happen during games. But the benefit of this is, is the moment anyone kicks a goal, you're going back to the square, you're going back into that 6-6-6 layout, which means it's open again. So, you know, in the past, let's say your, your team is up by five or six goals and then the other team goes on a bit of a run and they kick two in a row. The coach will immediately put a player in the back line as an extra, uh, as, as an extra back. And that player then has sort of free reign to go and take intercept marks, be a third man up in, in a contest. You can't do that as much now because uh, the players have to be evenly matched across the whole field. So, and I'm sure some coaches will start thinking about it There'll be situations where they'll get a player on the wing the moment the ball is bounced to make his way to the back line to be that extra uh, man and they'll get someone from the forward line to cover for him uh, on the wing because in the, in the um, previous seasons, they'd have one less, per, one less player 
uh, in the forward line, right? So that, 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 that's where their matchup would be different because they have an extra player behind the ball. So to, to make that happen, if they still want to do that when, you know, someone else is on a run and they want to limit the scoring, you have to be able to do this handoff with the player that's in the center so that the player that's on the wing can go back and be the extra man in the back line. So if they can do that successfully, then I think, I think it will definitely, you know, come back to the normal scoring that we see. But if that doesn't work as well, and given the size of some of the grounds, it'll make it harder. Like at the G, which is a lot bigger than the SCG, for example, it'll be harder to do that handoff. At the SCG, mm. it's a little bit easier because the ground's a lot smaller. But I'm hoping that doesn't work out as well and that we see that 666 at every center bounce and you're just going to see one-on-one contests, uh, midfielders getting the ball, breaking out with no one really around to tackle them. And I think we're going to get more scoring. Yeah, so it's, I guess, I mean, I think everybody really loves scoring regardless of the sport. <laughs> so it'll probably be good for, for getting people to watch the game as well. No, exactly. Like you said, every single sport, most of the changes that any sport has brought in is to get more scoring. Um, mm. a- attacking and offense always wins. And that's what brings people in on the most part. Purists like you and I for some sports, like I love watching a good basketball game with great defense. I, I really enjoy it. I love watching good um uh, defensive teams in the NFL as well. But for your not average fan who just wants to turn the telly on on a Friday or a Saturday night and watch a game to keep them uh, engaged, uh, you need you need uh, a fair amount of scoring. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So there's a couple of leagues which are entering what uh, Sir Alex Ferguson once called squeaky bum time, Eric. So uh-huh. the um, the English Premier League now is in the final stretch. So there's 10 games left. And this morning, the top five or six teams um, all played. And uh, most of them won, except for Tottenham, who lost to Chelsea. And, you know, Tottenham aren't really helping their cause now because, you know, now it's become a really, really close. There's two races happening. There's the top two. So Liverpool and Man City, you know, I think definitely the titles between them. Liverpool are ahead by a point. They had a great win this morning. Uh, They won 5-0. And the City beat West Ham 1-0. Aguero scored a penalty. So they stayed in and City have the edge uh, with goal difference. Uh, So, you know, that that might become important later on in the year. But for now, there's definitely two races happening. The first race is uh, the top two between Liverpool and City. And the second race, which is for the other two slots between... You know, Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal and and Man United. And it's a shame for Spurs, really, because up until the last two or three games, you know, theoretically, they were still within a chance to really uh, battle it out for the title. But then they go and lose to Burnley last week. And um, today against Chelsea, the second goal they conceded was an awful own goal uh, by a really good uh, right back for them, Tipia. So really bad... um, back pass the keeper was close to him and you know he, he passed it into his own goal so they lost 2-0 and they've really been brought back into the pack and it doesn't get any easier because next uh, this coming weekend they will face Arsenal and if they lose that game and United beat uh, Southampton then they've pretty much been brought back right into the pack with the other teams so it becomes you know a free-for-all between those um those four teams and I think Spurs will be disappointed with that uh, to be honest given how well they started the season and they actually coped with the loss of Sun and Kane and even Del Alley pretty well for a while but then it just sort of unraveled the last couple of weeks and now they're definitely out of the race yeah the it's interesting that it's like four five six are jammed so close together and 
if with Tottenham, it only takes one or two results to to swing that again. So it's yeah, it's a bit sad for Tottenham, but it's it's been nice watching them kind of march up over time. Like I know they'll be disappointed, but at the same time, it's it's a solid result. Eric, it's it's taking a lot of time. I mean, they have, and I, and I told Nathan this we had on last week, and I think when we discussed the London clubs with Jensen a few weeks back, I don't think they've had a more talented group. Uh, than this one, you know, and, you know, it's still Tottenham isn't the other teams. They're not um, the other London clubs or obviously the two Manchester clubs or even Liverpool in that they can attract really good players, but just that next level player, it's not something they can attract. So they, they did really well with Harry Kane and how he developed and another couple of the English players. And obviously Sun, again, he's from Korea, you know, not, not from a traditional sort of European or South American powerhouse who normally wouldn't go to a club like Tottenham. They'd either go to those other teams or they'll go to Italy or Spain. And so they're really in this sweet spot right now and they're wasting it. They're not winning anything. And, you know, losing to Burnley and then uh, losing to a Chelsea team who, you know, has had better seasons, definitely. That's that's the mark of a sort of a, a good team and then the, the difference between that and then being a great team. They just can't get the job done. Compare that to Man United, who now have a, a club record eight away wins since uh, Solskjaer took over, which is really impressive stuff. They beat Crystal Palace 3-1 and they've really steadied the season and have made a you know a good account of themselves now, really shaking up that top four when two or three months ago it was it looked like a lost cause. Yeah, the way Manchester United are going, you know, you just get the feeling that they're into a groove and it's going to be, it's like you're saying, squeaky bum time. You know, it's, you, you can't afford to, to let easy goals in and they're, they're not making silly mistakes. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out as it gets towards the end of the season. Absolutely. Yeah, and it'll look really exciting and as I said, 10 games left. Uh, that's the final stretch now. So, yeah, let's see how it shapes up. We'll definitely talk about it some more. Another league that's at squeaky bum time is the NBA. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, and, man, both conferences, it's, it's tight. Yeah, look, I mean, there's, um, there's 20 games left pretty much for each team, which may seem like a lot. Uh, when when you're not familiar with the NBA, but really they play about three games, sometimes four games a week. The season, so think about this, the playoffs will begin on April the 13th, right? And we're in the last day of February today. So we're talking less than six weeks. Mm. Um, all of this will be over in terms of regular season. There was a match today between the Portland Trailblazers and the Boston Celtics uh, at, the, at the Garden in Boston. And the Blazers actually... They've had a pretty impressive Eastern tour, you can say. They beat Philly, they've beat the, they beat the Nets, and now they've beaten Boston uh, for a five-win streak. And Boston now is on a four-game losing streak. Uh, they sit in fifth in the Eastern Conference. There is enough separation between them and then, you know, sixth is sort of, uh, you know, ninth or tenth. There's a five-game gap. But if they keep going the way they are and they finish fifth, they're not going to have home court at any stage in the playoffs. And they're likely to, uh, you know, start off the first round against Philly. Or if the Pacers and Philly sort of do a bit of a switch, they'll end up playing the Pacers, which I think they'd prefer playing the Pacers to playing Philadelphia in the first round. What do you think is happening at Boston? Look, I, I think there's a couple of things going on. I, I think that I, I think Kyrie doesn't suit that team. I, I think that's at the heart of it. 
the when he was injured and the ball was moving a lot more the boot so the ball was moving a lot more that team was scoring a lot better the team flowed a lot better and they got to the eastern conference finals and then when Kyrie comes in everything's everything sort of changed a little bit he spends a lot of time with the ball in his hands also with Gordon Hayward being injured and probably being brought back too soon I think that sort of it robbed them of the ability to get any momentum initially um, but I think as well that I, I just don't feel like Kyrie's the leader of a basketball team. That there was that uh, the call apologizing to LeBron James and then using it as a bit of a pawn to whack his teammates over the head. And and these guys are probably looking at Kyrie saying, "Look, we got to the Eastern Conference Finals without you. Who are you to kind of judge judge us?" And then there's the whole, you know, Anthony Davis and the rumors around Anthony Davis and everybody willing to sell everything they've got to get him. I don't think that helps either. So it's not a skill thing. I feel there's a team cohesion culture thing that's going on at the Celtics because if you just look at who's on the roster, that's that's a really good team. That's a team that people looked at at the start of the year and thought these guys might be able to beat Golden State and this, this team at the moment is incapable of that. So you bring up cohesion there, Eric, and so is that on Brad Steven? Stevens, sorry? Um, look, it's, it's an interesting one. I think that it is, he has to take some responsibility with it. I think, you know, remember we were, when we were talking about Phil Jackson and we were saying some guys are really fantastic at, at taking big egos and turning them into juggernauts. You get other people who are really good at taking like guys that aren't that great and then turning them into a team that overachieves. And I think Brad Stevens is there. And now he's got a bunch of guys who are starting to get big egos and he doesn't really manage it that well. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that is part of the problem that, that Brad just can't knock everybody into line and start forcing forcing a pecking order and getting people to play in a particular pattern because the guys who got to the Eastern Conference Finals last year have every right to feel like they should be treated with a, a lot of respect and I don't think Curry's willing to hand that out. So they've got, I think they've got a clashing of egos there and a coach who's not really capable of making people play in a particular way. Look, I, I agree. I think what we're seeing from Brad Stevens is that He's a coach that can make a team of above average and in some cases star players, not superstar players, but star players greater than the sum of their parts. However, what he still probably needs to learn, and he is a young coach, mind you, is that uh, how to manage uh, personalities, um, rotations maybe, things of that nature that give people enough shots and but don't uh, mess with the chemistry of that team because you're not, you're not benching Kyrie right? You're not turning around and going, hey, Kyrie, we actually um, won a fair few games without you and you got injured <coughs> last year. How about you sit on the bench and we play? That's never going to happen, right? So he needs to figure out a way to get that team playing at their potential. But either way, I think Kyrie's out of Boston at the end of the season. I don't think he's going to stay around. The situation's just not working for him. And it's probably not working for the Celtics either, right? Yeah, I, I agree entirely with that. I, I think it could be a positive thing with, with him moving on. Yeah, and, you know, it will be a tough playoff series, whatever happens, just because of where they are likely to finish based on form and, you know, 
as I said, 20 games, a lot of things can change. But even if everything just stays at its current pace, more or less, I see the paces and the Sixers swapping places. The Sixers are currently behind by half a game. So if they win the game in Mm. hand, they jump over the paces. And otherwise, I see them uh, and the Celtics. So the paces and the Celtics playing each other. Uh, that's what I feel. It's it's a fair distance between the fifth and then six to sort of ten, which is really tight. So you know, there's five games between the Celtics and the Nets, and then under the Nets, you have the Pistons, the Hornets, the Magic, and the Heat, who are all like within two to three games of each other. Yeah. So it's really exciting at the bottom end there for those teams, you know, and, you know, I guess it'll be good for Charlotte and Detroit to make the playoffs just for their fan bases, even though they won't make much noise. Speaking of the Heat, uh, today, Dwayne Wade, and if you haven't seen it, guys, How nice. <laughs> go on YouTube, have a look. You know, they're playing Golden State. It's in Miami. They've got these awesome Miami Vice jerseys and court layout they've had they have happening down in Miami which is absolutely amazing uh, they're down by two points Wade has the ball at the top of the key I think he gets blocked when he throws it up the first time he recollects and then he just throws up a prayer hits off the backboard and in and they win the game on the buzzer and I think all of Miami went nuts uh, when that happened yeah. it was it was awesome to see yeah it, it was like, it, especially because he is such a beloved player in that in that franchise it's it's i think if they were going to make a Dwayne Wade movie that's going to be on there absolutely that was good fun the flip side of the Boston game Eric were, was Portland right so just quietly there and you know despite the talk of MVP for Paul George and him and Russell Westbrook and everything they're doing uh, at the Thunder Portland are only half a game behind them believe it or not right so they've been absolutely amazing and the addition of Cantor has helped them as well and Nurkic is playing out of his skin um, the last few weeks and obviously Lillard and McCollum are doing their thing and I sort of gave him a bit of a bit of flack at the trade deadline saying you know that you added Rodney Hood and then so what right like you didn't really do much and I still don't think they did much from that perspective but then they went and picked up uh, Ines Kanter after he got waived by by the Knicks mm-hmm. and yeah the teams uh, to be honest they're looking good I think they'll They'll compete hopefully a bit better than they did last year against the Pelicans when they got swept. But they seem to be in a in a pretty good place and currently they'll have a, a home series to begin the playoffs. So, you know, shout out to Portland. Yeah, they they beat Golden State. Was it last week or a week before? I mean they're they're looking they're looking solid. And I mean all of the top four in the West are looking really solid. I, mean, I, I think the Rockets are a bit of a dark horse. If if they can stop playing hero ball with Harden, I think they should probably be higher. But that, when you look at the top five, those five teams are all doing really well. I feel like the Nuggets might fall out, but the Trailblazers are playing really good basketball. Yeah, and look, you know, just uh, this game as well, Mo Harkless has given him some good minutes and good points as well, just helping out with the load um, with the other guys. And, you know, so far, so good for for the Nuggets, Eric. I mean, they're on a five-game winning streak. They just keep on keeping on, I guess. They have great balance. And obviously, Nikola Jokic... Is an amazing young center with great skills. He said he wants to be the Denver Tim Duncan the other day, which is, you know, if you're going to aspire to be anyone as a big, Tim Duncan's a pretty good example to follow. So yeah, absolutely. Denver are great. And, you know, I don't know if you've followed them since they added Isaiah 
back from his injury, but he's giving them some great minutes off the bench. And, you know, because he's, he's a high volume shooter, but he's also scoring for them. So again, he can rest his starters a bit more and he's getting some good productivity from Isaiah. Yeah, I keep, and I'm guilty of this as well. I think a lot of people just keep waiting for them to fall over. Mm. And and it's just not it's just not happening. Like they're they're one game behind Golden State. Well, they won't win behind Golden State. And you know we're starting to get to the pointy end of the season. So I think they for me they've overachieved this season. But I think if you asked anybody on that team if they felt that they overachieved, they'd say no. We're just doing as good as we are. And look, I think you know the mile high city that is Denver. I think it's definitely a thing. They are 27 and four at home, uh, which I think is the best record in the league. Uh, you know, ahead of ahead of Milwaukee, who are, or ahead of the Raptors. I think the Raptors have the second best home record. But I do think that playing at that uh, level, I don't know how high Denver is, but it's it's probably the highest city where you play basketball in America. Uh, you know, they say when you're playing at that sort of altitude, you know, the oxygen levels are a bit less. And so if you're not used to it, you'll struggle with uh, fatigue, etc. when you're playing. That's definitely an advantage for them. And when you're getting into the playoffs and playing against really tough teams, you need every one or 2% that you can get. Uh, and being at home is clearly a big advantage for them because their away form is, they're a 500 team away. They're 15 and 14 so they've done all their damage at home and I think it's showing yeah you know home court advantage for those guys is going to be huge and the, the altitude you know that's that's real like I've seen in in other sports like in in mixed martial arts but I've seen fight cards where everybody gasses on the entire card top to bottom because it's the air's just thinner and and you're right if you're if you're used to playing at that altitude then you're you're going to have a huge advantage over people who come and visit the play. Absolutely. And staying in the West real quick, uh, you know, San Antonio every year, they go on a, they call it the rodeo road trip. The um, San Antonio uh, rodeo and life cattle show takes over the, the basketball stadium there. So they go on, an, on a road trip, some, you know, seven or eight games. And they were one and seven on that road trip and it sort of dropped them all the way back into that fight for the last uh, three spots there in the uh, Western Conference with with the Clippers, the Kings, uh, the Lakers a bit. They are three games behind. But, yeah, Spurs have really struggled the last uh, few games before they beat Detroit. They went one on seven, one, one and seven in the East. They lost to the Nets. They lost to your Knicks. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought you guys were trying to lose. What's going on there? Well, man, I, you know... The Spurs have looked really bad. And speaking of teams trying to lose, like the Clippers have looked pretty solid. And, and if they make the playoffs, they lose their pick. So oh, I, I'm not understanding what's going on with that bottom end of the Western Conference table. The, like the Kings, I don't like the quality of the basketball that's coming out of the Kings. You look at them in ninth place and think that's a playoff team. What are they doing? What are they doing that low? They've been pushing really good teams really hard for the last couple of weeks so I, I thought Golden State were lucky to get past them a couple of weeks ago so it's that, that whole bottom section is really competitive I don't, I don't know what's going on with the Spurs I don't know why they've played that badly they've basically thrown themselves into basically being you know a, a, a lifeline for LeBron to maybe possibly make it back into the playoffs and keep his record going, but um, 
yeah, they they haven't looked good. And if they can't turn it around, they're, they're going to drop out and either the Kings or the Lakers are going to step in. Absolutely. And, you know, they actually conceded 130 points against the Knicks. So defensively, I think they have, they've had the, the worst trading of any team during that span. And I think being at home will definitely sort of just help them gather themselves again, uh, settle down a bit and just go back to playing Spurs basketball. And they, they were missing a lot of shots. Like against Brooklyn, they held them to 102 points, which is pretty good, but then they couldn't score themselves. So that's definitely uh, not helping them. They they need to find it and find it quick. Otherwise, they're, they're just also making up the numbers in the West. Yeah, I if I was going to pick a team to drop out of that top eight, at, at this rate, it's going to be the Spurs. You reckon you don't think it'll be the Clippers? Well, you know, I, I, I just feel like those guys aren't getting the memo. <laughs> they just keep playing. Cause they should be trying to bomb, but they, they just keep playing pretty well. And they're, you know, they're three games up on the Kings. And, you know, it's, there's going to come a point in time where unless you literally start trying to go out and throw air balls, you're going to end up getting into the playoffs. So... I don't know what's going on with the Clippers. The Clippers should be trying to keep their pick and bomb out of the out of the playoffs. But I, I feel like the Spurs aren't looking great. Um, and it's not like you're seeing positive bits here and there, and you just need to put it together. They've just looked they just look bad. And the I think the Kings are a, a better squad than than their place on the table gives them credit for. And the Lakers, you know, I think LeBron's having some. You know, I don't think he's 100% yet. I feel like losing and not making the playoffs will be a blessing in disguise for LeBron. You know, it's funny you say that. So I agree that he doesn't look 100%. And even, you know, a 90% or an 85% LeBron is giving you a triple-double. He's leading your team in scoring (laughs) and, and doing all the things that he does. Geez, everyone's going to get on him if they don't make the playoffs when... You know, when the season started, I at least, my expectations of the Lakers was that they make the playoffs, right? That, that was the expectation. It was nothing more. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe they would finish towards the lower yeah, when, end. When did that change? I'll tell, like, I... tell you when. I'll tell you when. When they were fourth and they went to Golden State and beat the Warriors in Golden State, and that was the game that LeBron got injured in when he injured yeah. his groin. And they went into that game actually in fourth. And everyone's like, hmm, imagine the Lakers finish fourth and they'll have home, home advantage um, in the first round of the playoffs. And everyone's like, you know what, they're actually going to shake it. And then he gets injured and he misses, you know, 17, 18, however many. And then they just fall right back into the pack. And all of a sudden now it's LeBron's fault for them not winning. So, you know, I'm... Look, Thankless basketball fans, man. <laughs> mate, look, it's it's the fans, it's the media, it's the people who are so quick to get on and off uh, a thing, you know, depending, you know, they almost switch from game to game with what they think is going to happen with the Lakers, right? I mean, when when they beat the Celtics on that buzzer beater, I really thought it would bring them together and just help them out um, with the rest of the season. But that clearly wasn't the case. I mean, they went on this mini road trip and they managed to lose to the Pelicans away and to the Grizzlies, you know, who are not trying to win. And really disappointing stuff because on the other side, you beat Houston and some of the better teams, right? 
And then even today, they needed like this fadeaway corner three from LeBron to really ice that game when Anthony Davis was only playing 20 minutes, right? So, uh, you know, there's clearly something not not ticking, although Brandon Ingram is really doing a great job. Uh, he's keeping up his end of the bargain the last few games. You know, he's scoring freely. He's getting to the rim. He's not a three-point shooter, but he doesn't need to be with his length. Um, you know, he's really, he uses his length really well, you know, getting easy layups, doing Euro steps. So I've been really happy with his game. Defensively, they definitely struggle, right? Like they're, they're shocking. And, and look, LeBron is a little bit culpable, but I think, again, it's because he's not at 100%. Um, he's just yeah. not, he's just not as engaged defensively, unfortunately, uh, as much as he should. And it's costing them. But, you know, those other players who, you know, are chucking a tantrum or are feeling a little bit upset because they were subject to a potential trade. Um, you know what? They need to get over it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that you know, it's it's harsh, but by the time you're in your second year, you have a pretty good feel if you're going to be the centrepiece of an organisation or if you're going to be, you know, a, a well-paid role player. And... Like, you, you know this. You know that the team is going to be centralising around you and you're going to get traded eventually if you're not that centrepiece. And eventually, if you hang around long enough, you get traded as well. Like, you look at Shaq, how many teams at the end of his career did Shaq end up on getting getting traded towards the end? So this is part of the game. And there's a there's a level of just go to work and do your job. And I think a lot of people are on that team are feeling a little bit upset that they were involved in that rumour and it's largely bruised egos, but it's this, you know, you're still a millionaire. You're still getting paid to play basketball and your value is not going to go up if people see you throwing a tantrum while this whole process is going on. Exactly. You know, they need to be engaged even for their own value, um, whether it's on the Lakers or moving forward. But, you know, this season they really need to think of the possibilities and think of themselves as the team that was in the top four, that was playing really well, and try as much as they can to just forget about the whole Anthony Davis situation and just compartmentalise, right? Have a beef about it at the end of the season. But right now just think back to how you were playing and that you were a team that was really competing and was going to, you know, make some noise in the playoffs and now you're sort of sitting three games out. I think they can still salvage something out of this season. They just need to set the egos aside. But that's easier said than done. And again, I think Luke Walton's situation is a little bit similar in some ways to Brad Stevens, even though the circumstances are different. But he needs to find a way to get these guys all you know, pushing in the same direction. Otherwise, he'll find himself out of a job at the end of the season as well. Yeah, I, I, think, he's, I think he's out of a job. Like I, I think he's he's kind of on the chopping block. If they miss the playoffs, I think he's done. Um, but I also think that like when when you're that young and people have footage of you playing and they're looking at you thinking that they're probably a better player than you were, then it's difficult to make people listen to you and get ordered around by you. There's there's a lot of egos. Like I don't know if I don't know if the egos of mid-range players has ever been as big as it is now. And maybe that's, mm. maybe that's the social media era, but, you know, it, it used to be really clear who was the star and who was a role player and people 
people accepted those roles. And great teams have always had people who accept what role they play on the team. And I think that's the problem with the Lakers. It's not that there's no talent there. It's that people aren't happy to be a kind of cog in the machine as opposed to a star. Absolutely. There's definitely an inflated sense of self-worth for a lot of these players. Um, and, you know, it's almost like some of them should take a, a leaf out of Joe Harris's book, Out of the Nets. You know, the guy who was, I don't know, he was doing some random job for a long time, but he's such a good three-point shooter that he's become an integral part of that Nets team. And a lot of players just think they're better than they are because everyone around them inflates their ego, right? Everyone around them wants a piece of the, of the earnings, of the winnings, of that lifestyle. You're like, you know, you're better than this, you can do this. And with the ever-expanding salary cap, even average players are making $15 million a year. You yeah. Know? So that, that, was, that used to be unheard of. I remember reading that Kareem, who, you know, is on the absolute Mount Rushmore of NBA players, I think his highest ever salary was towards the late 80s, so very much the end of his career, and he was making $3 million. and that was like way past his peak like we're talking about a six-time MVP six-time champion uh you know one in high school every year one in college every year and then you see these guys and average players are on 12 to 15 even what's the veteran minimum these days it's in the millions surely so yeah it's crazy so who knows I mean it can you know goes one of two ways they either uh, just you know bunker in and really push towards the playoffs or they can keep letting it get to them and not putting in 100% all the time and then the whole team's going to get blown up uh, at the end of the season anyway so it's their choice yeah. either enjoy the ride and try to make the playoffs uh, and a lot of you will leave or don't enjoy the ride and make a lot of um, noise and have negative uh, coverage and then leave anyway yeah i think the complicated bit for the Lakers is going to be if they miss the playoffs, what do you do with all of these kids? You know, it's it's hard to make a case for Anthony Davis that you've got a really good package when you've got a group of people who didn't get what they wanted and then acted out. And the Pelicans are going to look at that trade and think, well, am I better off with that or am I better off steering towards the Celtics or, or somebody else? We, we were discussing if KD left and the Warriors tried to get him, you know, could they make something work there? But I, I feel like you, the Lakers need to perform at a particular level in order for their trade to be attractive to to um, the Pelicans. Absolutely. Otherwise, like I've said before, you're waiting another season for Anthony Davis to come in free agency and that's a season wasted of LeBron. Yeah, and there's, uh, no, there's no guarantee he turns up too. True. Absolutely. So, yeah, look, very interesting times for the NBA now, 20 games to go, and there's heaps of movement, I think, still left. So it'll be very exciting to see how it all pans out. Now, Eric... I'm going to share some information with you, right? There's a league in America for their main tournament. They have an eight-year, $8.8 billion deal that will kick in, I think, in 2024 to 2032, right? So we're talking more than $1 billion a year. Their current deal, which expires in 2024, is a 14-year, $10.8 billion 
media deal, right? So we're talking about TV coverage here. It's a league where coaches can get paid five, six, seven million dollars a season. If I gave you information about a league like that, how much would you say the players would earn? You know, <laughs> it's it's funny because I know what league you're talking about. So there's how much how much they deserve to be paid, and then there's how much they do get paid. How much, how much do they think, you know, if you're bringing in one, one point, I don't know, one or two plus billion dollars a year in TV revenue for, for, a, main, for a main sort of uh, the finals, I guess. It's the equivalent of the playoffs, right? You're bringing in one point something billion just for that. And then your sort of regional conference, you bring in, listen to this, it's a 20-year deal, a 20-year contract at $240 million a year, which is, you know, comes out to be $4.8 billion. Yeah. That's the sort of media deals that we're, we're talking about. We're talking about coaches getting paid five to $6 million. When you talk about a league like that, that is ultimately driven by the players, right? It's the players that make this thing tick. How much do you think players like that deserve to be paid? You know, I think what's the deal in the NBA with what they negotiated for proportion? I mean, it should should be something similar. Like you've got, and not just basketball, but with college football as well. Like you've got guys who could be potentially on track for a big career and then blow out an ACL and then they, they never make it. And they're making a lot of money off it. So like with, with Duke, there were Super Bowl ticket prices to go and watch them. And that's driven entirely by the players. Like Zion is turning into a superstar and he's still in college. And they're making huge amounts of money. I mean, the NCAA made over a billion dollars in revenue just from the TV rights. Then you add in tickets, you add in jerseys. You, it's They're making huge amounts of money off these guys and they're not allowed to even have a shoe deal. So it's like this to to me is is ridiculous. Like the the argument these days that you get a college education and that's what you get paid is is just ridiculous. They should be getting that for free plus a large sum of money as well to play. So guys, what Eric is saying, I think, is they get paid zero dollars, Eric, right? Yeah, (laughs) they get paid nothing. Right. So so we are talking about college sports. Uh, in America, this all came about because there was a massive game between University of North Carolina and Duke. And these universities are about a 25-minute drive from each other. So as you can imagine, a really big rivalry. So think Real Madrid, Barcelona. I'm I'm not kidding. Yeah, think uh, Carlton, Collingwood, you know, anything you can think of that is like sort of big, passionate, regional type of rivalry that's unc and duke basketball Uh, north carolina is a big basketball state you know in america you have football states like alabama florida texas and you've got basketball states and indiana is a basketball state north carolina is another really big basketball state no word of a lie tickets to watch college kids were going for two thousand five hundred dollars us barack obama was in attendance the coaches that were coaching those teams are on multi-million dollar, multi-year deals. And then the star attraction, a kid by the name of Zion Williamson, who's an absolute beast of a player 
and a specimen. Like the way this guy moves and his vertical for his size is like nothing anyone has seen. It's like Charles Barkley on steroids, right? And that guy's amazing. 30 seconds in, he's trying to make a turn and he slips. His left foot gives way and his actual shoe blows up. Like his foot rips right through the shoe and the shoe gets destroyed. The next day, Nike's share value goes down. This is, this is how big and how much sort of impact this stuff has. And yet these players who only sign on because the NBA has a rule that you cannot nominate for the draft until you're 19 years old. So these guys have to go spend a year, so-called year, in college where they barely register or sign up for six months just so that they can play basketball. This guy could have been injured really severely, ruined his career, and would have had nothing to fall back on. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, this whole talk about their student athletes, when we all know there's no focus on their education, when Mm. these players are expected to wake up, go do weights, go to class, come back, go to the film room, go through plays, do actual on-field practice, and you expect them to actually get a degree at the same time, it's absolutely ridiculous, right? And it's especially ridiculous for those two massive sports, which are American football and basketball. You can make an argument that for other sports, Eric, like swimming, lacrosse, softball, and a few others, where these players actually do use their sporting prowess to get a scholarship so that they can get a really good education because they're not sports that will pay you good money professionally, right? So you are sort of leveraging your skills as an athlete to get yourself a really good education. That is not the case for many of those basketball and football players who, especially the high-end ones, we're talking about the the 2%, right, that are only going to college because they have to before they make that jump to uh, the, the professional leagues. And so for these players, they're just cash cows. If they weren't around those deals would be nowhere near as big in terms of television rights, in terms of, like you said, merchandise sales. I mean, people are buying Zion Williamson jerseys, right? And the student who's selling Zion Williamson's jerseys at the, at the student union shop is probably making, what do they make in America? $10, $12 an hour? I don't know. But he's getting paid to sell them. And then the guy who's bringing all that money in gets absolutely nothing. It's absurd. It is. And these days as well where players aren't even staying at college long enough to get the degree. It's it's like for the top players, it's one and done. You do one year there and then you go to the NBA. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. So it used to be guys would go there, they'd play three or four years they mature and then move on into the NBA. Now it's you turn up, you, you do your one year there, and then you head into the NBA after that. And it's it's really, it's it's like a giant horse sale. You're, you're out there watching them run and go, okay, that guy fits, that guy doesn't fit, where we're going to pick that guy in the draft. And it's got absolutely nothing to do with providing these kids an education. Mate, and, and you're saying one and done it's not even that, Eric. It's like half and done. These guys, yeah. <laughs> like they're literally there for six months. They're there for six months and that's it. And the excuse um, the colleges use is, you know, clearly and obviously 
these guys are the one percent. I think you know the the ratios are really small. It's less than two percent of players in college actually make it to either basketball or the NFL. So we're not saying it's everyone, and most of the others would be leveraging their basketball to get a career. However, it's unfair when these guys how much hours they put in, uh, how much their bodies go through, especially the football players, for how much money you're making. When some of them say that they actually go to bed hungry sometimes, I mean, that's, that's completely unacceptable. At the very least, I think they should be allowed to get external sponsorships if they are being offered to them. If you as a school do not want to pay them for their services because of you know, using the excuse that they're student athletes, even though they're bringing you billions of dollars, then at the very least, let someone like Zion, like um, RJ Barrett, like uh, you know, Kevin Durant, Derek Rose, all these players that went before. Look at Greg Oden, right? Mm. Greg Oden, you know, went number one and injuries just ravaged his career, never really got off the ground. You tell me he was there for an education, right? He was he was the number one. People forget about Greg Oden, but he was more of an attraction than Kevin Durant, given his size and dominance in the league at the time, right? This guy has nothing to show for it. They need to change that rule and what the NBA PA, the Players Association voted on, Eric, is to lower the age from 19 to 18. And I think that's a proposal they need to take to the owners, et cetera, and it needs to be ratified before it's actually applicable. Because those superstar players, if you're not going to value them for who they are and what they bring your organization and your program, then, uh, you know, they should be going professional straight away. Yeah, I- the frustrating thing is I think for a lot of players spending a little bit of extra time at college would be good for their career because you see guys come into the NBA and they're still young and they're like, they've got to develop physically and mentally and emotionally as a man in the NBA league. And I don't think that helps a lot of them. Like I, I think that Lonzo would probably have a better shot if he had the time to develop that in college for another year and then came into the league. But there's there's guys out there where I think if you had a bit more time there to develop physically or to round your game out a little bit more, then, then you would have looked a lot better. Because if you come in at the top end of the draft and you're not immediately ready to play well these days, you get called out really, really badly. And it can crush players mentally before they get there. So I, I've, I see a lot of value to having a good system to funnel players in. And I, I'm hoping that Luka Doncic, I'm, I'm hoping that people seeing that might change the way people think about the best way to get people into the league. Because I think what's happening now is a disservice to the players in terms of earning potential while they're there, but also development potential as they're growing up. And, and look, Eric, I mean, with that rule change, it's not like every single player is going to be nominating to the draft. Uh, most of them won't be good enough, right? I mean, even back in the early 2000s before they they stopped it, you could count the really good players that went straight from high school to the pros, right? We're talking Kobe. Yeah. We're talking Kevin Garnett. I think T-Mac did that and obviously LeBron James. So you're talking first ballot Hall of Fame type players that jump mm that jump um, straight to the professional. So we're not saying there's going to be this mass exodus where players aren't going to go to college. Most of them still will. The vast majority are nowhere near ready 
to actually make it in the league. But it's the very fact that you don't give the others the option to do it at 18 when you can actually, um, you know, have them serving in the military at 18. Yeah. You won't let them go play professionally at 18. So, you know. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know, the, the whole thing's frustrating. Like, especially when you look at, like, I was looking at the Georgetown jerseys the other day and they're sponsored by Jordan. And I've seen other, jo- other kits where they're sponsored by Nike and they're, they're literally selling advertising on the uniforms that everybody's wearing, but they don't get a piece of that. And it's, you know, it's just not fair. I agree, mate. And, you know, one way to think of it is maybe some of that revenue needs to go into a future fund. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe it needs to go into some insurance fund for all these players because of what they contribute to your program. And it's it's like a, almost like superannuation here. Where if any of these players fall on tough times or they need some support, they they can get it because most of them don't make the NBA. And not everyone comes out of college with a decent education and they get a job either. But they've still contributed something and I think they should be compensated. Yeah, I I agree. And I think as well, I'm not I remember there was a court case, but I can't for the life of me remember if it's gone through yet or what happened. But it's not only that you don't get to earn money, they also hold your likeness rights forever. So they can release a video game with you in it and you get nothing. And so they can keep profiting off you even after you're gone and you get nothing. And you just look at that and think this whole system is completely broken. Absolutely. And, you know, they, I think lowering the age will help, but I still think they need like a broader reform. But it's, it's so tough with these big colleges and these big conferences um, controlling, uh, you know, what happens. And also with the TV right deals where, you know, I think ESPN and Turner, you know, Turner has the rights to March Madness and, you know, they've signed on for a long term. We're talking into, you know, 2030 and beyond. And they're going to be like, wait a second, the superstar players, they're not in college anymore. We're paying that much money. There's not as many people watching. So will that impact that arrangement too? So I don't think the TV stations want that to change either. No. And now that the deals are in place, it's, you know, it, it's going to be difficult to move. I mean, I, I think you're going to have to have college players unionize or something along those lines because the, the deal's there. The, the question now is going to be how much of a cut do the players deserve to get out of it. I, I think the only way it kind of comes along is if you get a, a union of college basketball players. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, fingers crossed, Zion makes a swift recovery and, you know, it doesn't hurt his stock for the draft, just for his own, uh, you know, financial and professional future, regardless of whether or not he goes at number one. Uh, and, mm. yeah, I just think once you turn 18, you should be allowed to make that decision if you want to go to college or go straight to the pros. Let's end today on something very quickly, Eric. Just uh, going back to, to soccer, there was a League Cup final match played uh, Monday morning our time between Manchester City and Chelsea. And it was a nil-nil draw. Chelsea were playing really well during the match. And then it went into extra time and it was clear that it was going towards penalties. Now, Kepa, who was the Chelsea keeper, he had gone down with uh, a cramp a couple of times. 
during that game. And uh, uh, the second time he went down with, with the cramp, you know, towards the end of the second half of extra time, uh, Maurizio Sarri, the Chelsea coach, uh, was prepared, preparing to make a substitution and to bring on his, uh, his other goalkeeper. And Kepa just refused to get off the field. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before where it took you know, a good three to five minutes just to organize this whole thing where this guy would just refuse to get off the field even though the coach you know, clearly called his number. And you know, you're always taught, you see your number up, doesn't matter who you are, you get off the field. And then you know, Sari got really agitated. At one stage, he looked like he was actually leaving uh, the stadium. Then he turned around and they tried to play it down a bit later with uh, Kepa saying, you know, he told the, the staff, the training staff, that actually he was feeling a lot better and he, did, he didn't need to get subbed off. And it took time for that message to get to the coach. And then the coach, he sort of said, yeah, to that later from my perspective and I'm interested to hear yours when you're in this team environment and your coach says you're subbed off you just walk off the field and that's it there's, there's no conversation here you don't get to make a decision you don't get to uh, you know pretty much disobey your coach's word it looked very unprofessional it looked absolutely ridiculous what are your thoughts on that uh, yeah well it, it looked like amateur hour it was it was just ridiculous. And I think that even if you wanted to stay on, you could have walked over to the sideline and had a conversation with the coach and said, I'm feeling better and talked it through. Maybe he lets you stay on, maybe he pulls you off, but you could have you could have had that conversation. But handling it in the way that he handled it, I think it showed a really massive level of disrespect for the coach and for the club that he plays for. And they they dropped him for the Tottenham game, didn't they? He was on the bench. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, on the bench yeah. for that game. He didn't play. Yeah, because you had to. Do, you have to do something. If you let him come straight back into the game, you completely undermine Sari, and and that's it. And you know, I've I've never seen anything quite like it. In my in my opinion, it's going to be that it's completely wrong for him to not come off, because I guess players and when you look at players and coaches in in the Premier League, the coach generally tends to be far more dispensable than the goalkeeper or whatever player you've got on there. So if he's making a decision and you refuse it and it goes badly, a large part of that lack of success is going to fall on the coach. And if he's going to take that responsibility and get fired at the end of the year, you need to he needs to have the power to be able to make these decisions in order to, to have a fair go at things. And, and I think he undermined his coach and his club. And I think, you know, I think one game, if that's all it is, is generous. Absolutely, mate. I think it was ridiculous and definitely he needs to be benched, probably fined by the club as well. I mean, they had an interview with Zlatan on PTI in the States and even Zlatan said, if the coach puts up my number, I'm going off. So if it's good enough for Zlatan, it's good enough for anyone yes. else. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. On that note, that's the end of our episode for today. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us. Thanks, Mo. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Mo and Friends Sports Podcast. Share with us your feedback and comments. Look forward to hearing from you, and we'll chat to you soon.